Good morning. Good morning. I have no big announcements. Our speaker today needs no introduction. Where's he hiding? He's waiting. <laughs> waiting in the wings. He must be going to make his special entrance. So this morning we're going to have... I just want to say one thing. Uh, Thanksgiving. I'm Typical woman is going to say one thing. One thing, I promise. I promise. One thing that has three parts, no. <laughs> um, but I'm, I was just sitting there thinking about Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, when I gave my testimony, I told you, you know, how I used to be poor and everything like that. Anyway, I was thinking, um, I got hired by H&R Block to do taxes. And I thought, in what country would I be able, at my age, to be able to get a job? With a firm like that, I've never, I'm an accountant, I've never done taxes before, so I'm just like a new person, you know, doing it. But I thought, you know how thankful I am to live in, in this country where we have opportunity, whereas if you want to work, you can work. And if you decide not to, you can do that as well. So I guess that is a really big Thanksgiving to me. I'm not soliciting business because the first year you really can't do anybody's taxes, you just support other people. I'm just saying that I'm thankful for the opportunity. So, we have Ron Peterson, who is going to be our speaker, and since he's my new neighbor, I'm going to watch him real closely, or I'm his new neighbor, maybe. Yeah, you're being watched. <laughs> <laughs> and about your garbage cans. Um, I know. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. You people just don't read your emails, do you? Anyway, um, Happy New Year, 2013. They come around faster and faster. Mary asked me to do the lesson today. I thought that great, that's great. It's the first Sunday. Do something light. Do something breezy. Do something maybe a little humorous and easy. <clears throat> Unfortunately, <laughs> the but. Yeah, none of the above. <clears throat> and I promised somebody I'm only going to speak an hour and a half, so it's, it's, it's going to be okay. I was reading a book called Unbroken. Is that me doing that? So anyway, I was reading Unbroken, and when I finished it, I thought, nah, the heck with breezy and humorous and whatever, let's do a real downer. <laughs> so, um, I, have a little, I have a little cheat sheet here. You know, I talk loud enough anyway, I think, but in any case, the author, Laura Hillenbrand, go ahead. The hell, hell is on. Hand Give hell. it to Jim. So anyway. <coughs> Laura Hillenbrand, those of you who are literary, uh, know that she wrote Sea Biscuit, and she then wrote uh, Unbroken. And she called Unbroken a story of survival, resilience, and redemption. Personally, I think it's a story about forgiveness. It's a story about a man named Louis Zamperini. And I hate it because I just found out that some of you people have read the book, so I'm going to be seeing, oh no, that's not what he said. Yes, he did. It's my interpretation. It's wrong, but it's my interpretation. Zamperini uh, was a wise-ass punk as a kid. He had a chip on his shoulder, mouthed off a lot, got in lots of fights, stole things. I prefer permanently borrowing in my own life. I didn't steal, just permanently borrow things. But he was getting in lots of trouble, and his brother turns him around, gets him involved in track in high school, becomes a very uh, uh, proficient runner, effective runner, 
whatever you want to call it. And he goes to college, broke records, went to the Olympics in 36, met Adolf, Adolf as in Hitler. And then December 7th, 1941, WW2 for the, for the Americans, and he joins the Army, becomes a member of the uh, Army Air Corps, becomes a bombardier, and uh, heads out to the Pacific on several bombing missions, successful. And then on a routine flight, now he's flying a B-24, which I didn't realize at the time, they call that the coffin maker. And considering the number of planes that went down to accidents, it was aptly named. Anyway, they're going across the vast expanse of ocean, mechanical problem, down goes the plane, two people get out quickly. Louis is not one of them. He is the last one to finally get out, and he sees the two other survivors. They got two little life rafts and under five days of rations. They're on this, uh, these rafts for almost 30 days. Toward the end, uh, it's over. Uh, they've lost one of the crew members already that they had to send the body to the deep, to the deep, and they're at the stage now where they're basically saying their goodbyes. They're so weak they can't even uh, put, get water out of the ocean to throw on them to cool them off. And as luck would have it, the raft approaches an island that happens to be occupied by the Japanese. The Japanese bought, the, bought their life raft. They, they uh, capture the, these two fellows put them in a, in a POW camp. All the Japanese prison camps were horror places, but Louis getting along okay. They transfer him to another camp, and there he meets his arch enemy. This individual uh, was a, since he's now died, uh, a sadist. man was constantly beating up on the prisoners and so on. Made, and he knew, knew of Levy. Of Lewis because he was fairly famous and uh, a lot of the Japanese they, they found out who he was and so forth. At luck would have it though they transfer him now to another prison camp on mainland uh, Japan. Japan. And it's it's tough work, low rat low, low rations. Uh, <coughs> he's losing weight like crazy, but he's not being uh, impacted as much as he was back at the other camp. One day coming back from the docks where he was loading and unloading uh, goods, there's his arch enemy. He was known as, uh, I believe, the Bird. And he's standing there with his club, smiling, and Louis' hell on earth begins again. The Japanese had issued orders that all prisoners were to be killed. They had never set a date. Finally, they set the date, and there was a friendly guard in the camp. And they came to Louis and the other prisoners and said, I forget the date, it was August, toward the end of August. And he says, I don't know what you're going to do, but those are the orders. Well, thank goodness uh, we had Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Not so good if you were a Japanese. Japanese surrenders, and Louis is repatriated, goes back to Southern California, marries his sweetheart, Cynthia. Life is good. No, life is hell. He's waking up, sweats, screaming, uh, flies off at the handle, he um, becomes an alcoholic. He's making money doing some motivational speaking, but he's drunk half the time. And finally, one night, he's having this nightmare again, but this is a good nightmare for him because he finally has the bird down on the ground and he's squeezing the, his, his, his neck. He's squeezing the breath out of him. He's going to kill him, which is what he's wanted to do all along. 
He's here screaming and hollering, and he wakes up, and he's straddling his wife, who's pregnant. And uh, she wasn't permanently injured. The baby was okay. She's had it. She files for divorce, and they have very little money, so they come to an agreement that he can stay in the apartment, but they will live apart. Now, you all are worldly people, so you know what that means. Uh, I think you know what that means. Anyway, I uh, hope you know what that means. Uh, so now a God moment. Uh, Billy Graham comes to town in Los Angeles. He expecting big things. But they don't know much. They don't know much about him in, in, in Lower California. And he sets up this tent, two thousand chairs. First week, two weeks, he's got an average of two hundred people. Now he's getting upset, uneasy about what's going on. What, what, what am I going to do? Another God moment. First, the media mogul. He hears about Graham and says three words to his editor: "Puff up Graham, puff him up, write some good articles about him." People start coming. People start coming. Tents almost full. And one of the people who hears about Graham from this newspaper is Cynthia, Louis's wife. He's still drinking. They're still living quote, together but apart. And he decides, okay, okay, I'll go. So he goes. And Billy Graham's talking about the love of God. Uh, God forgives us. God loves us. We should forgive. And at that, Louis, I'm out of here. And he leaves the tent. A couple of days later, she starts again, trying to get him to go, let's go hear Billy Graham. And like some men do, I would never do this. Sometimes you just do something to shut the person up. Um, stop nodding your head, Frank. She's going to be very upset. So they go. And part of the sermon at that time was uh, why bad things happen to Christians. And the message is God loves us. You know, we go through these, that's part of life. We go through these bad times, but, but God is with us. He sent Jesus, showed us how to live, sacrificed. Uh, our sins are forgiven. Sins are forgiven. You would think that Louis would get up and hit the, hit the exit again, but he doesn't. He starts thinking back about being on the raft. And on the raft, toward the end, when they thought they were dying, that was it. He said one of those foxhole prayers, God, if you get me out of this, I will serve you forever. Now, Laura Hillenbrand is not one of my favorite authors now because she drops the story. Does he, does he go down at the calling and does he accept Christ as his Savior? I don't know. Does, what happened? And she just goes off on something else. In any case, the marriage is saved. Louis stops drinking becomes uh, a very professional speaker and, and actually becomes a, a Christian that does a lot of Christian um, motivational speaking. All this was occurring on 47, 48. He's clean. He's sober. Life's getting better. He's got this gnawing, so he wants to go back to Japan, which he does. He wants to see the prison camp where he was. He sees it, and then... There's another prison camp where 800 of the baddest of the bad prison guards, Japanese prison guards, have been, have been in prison. Uh, you know, when the Americans and the British and the 
Australians, etc., leaving, they, they they were debriefed, and they're saying, "You've got to find this person." They 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 knew the name, the Japanese names, because they had killed so, and tortured so many Americans, well, Allied soldiers. So this was 800 of the baddest. So Lily goes, and the commander has these 800 people, uh, XPOW guards, and Louis looking at them. There's one. There's one. There's another one. And finally, the commander says, okay, I want all of the guards who are at this particular camp to come forward. So eight of them come forward, one of whom was under penalty of death. Uh, they had already hung a fair number of these guards and other uh, Japanese officials who had caused so much havoc. And the guards come forward. And here again, dear Laura, I don't know what she was thinking about. She ends this scene, this, this very emotional scene by saying, Louis went toward the prisoners, I quote, with exuberance. What the heck does that mean? Does she come up, does he come up to him and says, hey, thanks a lot, so long? Does he come up and hug him? I forgive you. Have an interpreter there say, hey, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and this is what it's done for me. Nada. Nothing. So, I don't mean to keep harping on Miss Hillebrand, but uh, I was very disappointed in that. So, I don't know all of your stories. I don't know what some of you have gone through, if anyone has been through anything as horrendous as that. I do know that most of us, if not all of us, have at one time or another been hurt uh, verbally by certain actions, God forbid, maybe physically, which is not so bad if it's a, if it's a stranger. But what really hurts, if it's a loved one, a good friend, your best neighbor, those are the unkindest hurts of all because you don't expect that from someone that you love and you think loves you. Now, one would think that the unintentional hurts, people that open mouth, insert foot, and say, and say something that hurts, that's be the easiest ones of all to forgive. But my personal experience is that's not the case. I wasn't going to tell this story, but I know of a case where a, a uh, older brother and the youngest sister, oldest brother, could do no wrong in the younger sister's eyes. I mean, sunset and rose, that guy could do no wrong. Sister was his, was his favorite daughter, was his favorite uh, sister. They lived in different countries, so the sisters and the brother gather together and go down to Florida. Everything is going great. And the brother comes along and says something to the youngest sister. Sister, she responds. Brother responds. They go back and forth, and now all of a sudden they are, sisters, calm things down. When it comes time to leave, love you, love you, safe travel, etc., etc. But things had changed. Now, the brother was my uncle. The youngest sister was my mother. So the brother comes down from Canada, and they visit. And they hug, and they tell old stories, and they laugh. It was different. They still loved one another, but there was like a, a wall. Not a thick wall, but still it was different. And that is so sad. And then when my uncle died, my mother said, well, he had a good life. Now, if that event hadn't, hadn't happened, even though he died in his 90s, I think she would have been more distraught that there was that feeling of betrayal, I guess, on my mother's part and probably on my uncle's part. 
And that is sad. And you hear more stories. And the thing that gets me is always some idiotic, minor thing that causes a friendship to rip, family to come apart, and that's sad. Now, the intentional hurt is something else again. How do you deal with someone who, and we, we've all known people, well, I say what I'm going to say, and, you know, you just love, like it or lump it. You know, they don't care. They just say what they want to say. And I find that rather disturbing that you're that sure of what you say that you don't care whether you hurt somebody or not. Frankly, I call that mean. How do you deal with someone like that? I have no idea. Fortunately, I've never been across anybody like that. Now, my wife has, but, you know. No. Uh, but I don't know how you deal with that. Uh, I guess you just smile, try to be Christian about it, uh, and have as few dealings with that irritating person as possible. Now, if you're a woman, what was that? Careful. Careful. No, no, this is good. I would suggest... As far as trying to deal with the jerk, I would suggest you talk to my wife, Pat. She's had over 50 years of experience, and she would probably tell you that, well, he gets angry, and she never does. He's just, you know, always smiling and telling me not wrong, just be calm, and that gets me more angry. And then all of a sudden, I start seeing a tear, and okay, that's the way you're going to be. And now all of a sudden I feel like the rat I am. And uh, the good news about that, if she were to tell you this, is that then you make up. And then you make up. And that's the best part of all. So sometimes I wonder subconsciously I don't do that just on purpose. I don't. I, since he's not here, I can say that. But why do we hold these, these hurts inside of us? One would think... Let's just be selfish. Let's just forgive them. Let's forget about it. Let's just and forgive and forget. I think is impossible because it's a harsh, harsh event. It's hard to forget. You can forgive, but it still comes back. And I got a slide here later. I show you that C.S. Lewis says it's very true. But you know, if you don't forget, you don't forgive. You got anger. You have stress. Get wake you up in the middle of the night in anger. Uh, you say things to people that you shouldn't be saying it to just because you're in this. And at our age, your bowel movements may change. I don't know, but you have these issues and you should... Uh, I say that because Pat's not here. If she was here, I wouldn't do that. But no, seriously, it, it affects your health. So why would you not forgive? And the only thing I can come back to, one word, is pride. I remember a movie uh, with Al Pacino. He's playing the devil. And somewhere in there, the person he's trying to get a hold of, he says one thing. He's looking at the guy. He, he helped him win this case against a very guilty person. He defended him. The guy goes free. And the person he's going after is walking out. He just feels so cocky. Ah, pride. That's my favorite sin of all. And we all have that to a degree. And isn't it sad that we allow that to cause a, a relationship to go down the toilet? We all have acquaintances, which I've tried to impress upon my kids. You will have very few, how to put this, real friends. Not that people aren't your friends, but real friends. You know what I'm saying? And why would you ever, ever, ever allow a slight or hurt, whether intentional or not, 
to destroy that. Well, now we're going to get technical. I hope. Oops, just turn that one off. This is what I'm looking for. The first Bible verse I have is Luke 17. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Now Jesus is pushing the envelope here. Hyperbole? I think so. Is that me doing that? No. Uh, I don't have one on. <laughs> you know, as an aside comment, the wisdom that's in this room sometimes is overwhelming, and other times it's frankly underwhelming. But in any case, I find that hard to grasp because no one, you don't really see that. But what you do see, I think, in this statement, is that we should be ready to repent. And. Martin Luther King Jr. had a, had a saying. I wrote, kept this because I want to make certain I didn't foul it up. Forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a permanent condition. Like Jesus said, we should be ready to repent. Oh. Maybe that's my stomach. I don't know. It is on. It's blue. Turn your lavalier on, turn your lavalier off. That's George Waite. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Guy won't keep out of it. I've got, I've got all the mics off. Okay. I'll tell you what. Let me just do this. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. All right. So you can't hear me now. That's not mine. It's not mine. Tell them I'm busy. Are you going to use the podium mic? You might walk around. Yeah, try moving it and turn your lavalier back on. Off. We should be ready to forgive. We shouldn't be so quick to forgive that all we're doing is encouraging someone to do something wrong. Because if we don't, if forgiveness isn't sincere, why bother forgiving? You can try to forget about it and move on and get away from that person. But I think that's what Jesus is saying. Be ready to forgive. The next uh, Bible verse is from Mark 11:25. It's starting to irritate me. I don't know if it's irritating you or not. I'm going toward the door. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you and yours. I don't know how many times I've read that. I'm sure you have too. Okay, yeah. God, forgive. We don't do that. Because what do we do when we pray? You go to God. Usually we start out praising God. Beautiful weather, the, the, the rain we needed, whatever. We thank Him for all the 
many benefits and blessings we have. And then we start asking for stuff. Not necessarily stuff. Safe, uh, safe travel, baby chip, which I know we've all been praying for. That was a great email yesterday. And you know the people in the class that we've been praying for. But in my youth, and I go back to that a lot, Christians were hypocrites. And there are people today who have said the same thing. You're hypocrites. You go along, you say all these things, and then you act just the opposite. Well, aren't we doing the same thing when we're praying to the Lord and we've got this anger or... or I'll speak for Louis uh, Zamperini. The, the, the desire for revenge. Or Next time I see that person, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. And I can't do that. There's only so much there. But <laughs> that is sad. That is sad. If we're going to be praying and, and, and praying honestly, We've got to get rid of all the garbage that, that we're, we're carrying. Now, that's hard to do. But we need to try that because you're really not being sincere with the Lord if we're going to carry all this other... I was going to say crap, but then Pat would shake her head and mm-hmm. all this other garbage. This is a very famous person. <laughs> well, actually, the person that I hate and love. I love it when he does right and I hate it when he does wrong. Anyway, Ron Peterson said, forgiveness cancels the debt, but does not eliminate the consequences. Forgiveness cancels the debt, but does not eliminate the consequences. When Jesus was on the cross, and the other thief, and actually he wasn't a thief, they were murderers. They wouldn't have been up there otherwise. And he, the, the the murderer says, you know, remember me when you go into your heaven. And Jesus comes back with the word, with today you'll join me in paradise. Jesus didn't say, okay, you can get off the cross, get those nails out, because I know it hurts, and go to the nearest pub and have a couple of brews. Didn't happen. The, the convict still had to pay the price. You go out and drink too much. You hit some poor unfortunate soul and injure them or kill them. And maybe the family does forgive you. Guess what? You're still going to jail. You still got a DUI. You pay the consequences of our actions. And with teenagers, that was always extremely hard for me to get that that point across to them. And as the old saying goes, nothing good happens after after midnight. My kids all agree with that now. But we sometimes forget that we have consequences. Not sometimes. We always have consequences of our actions. C.S. Lewis. I should have reworded that because this is I just this is something I wrote down from one of his books. Uh, to forgive for the moment is not difficult. To go on forgiving, to forgive that same offense every time it recurs to the memory, that is the real tussle. You can tell this was written in, in the 1950s because nobody says tussle anymore. <laughs> nobody, except for me just then. But what he's saying is just so true. You forgive. There's been reconciliation. Everything's good. And then all of a sudden, you see an event in a newspaper, on the TV, in a movie, in a book, or on a street coin saying, oh yeah, well that, you know, well, you know that son of a gun. And it comes back again. And then you've got to go through the, the, the forgiving process all over again. And it's hard. Because the last thing you want to be doing is to keep rehashing something that has already been put to bed. This next slide is really from Jeremiah, and it was paraphrased again. Paraphrased again in uh, 
Hebrews. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Well, now wait a minute. If that's what the Holy Spirit or what, Jesus, or what God is saying, um, God is omniscient. He knows. He knows. God knows everything. So how can He not? God not know that on such and such a date, Mary Seraphina did such and such. We're all waiting to hear about that, Mary. <laughs> uh, so God knows. I think the key point of that Bible verse is God does not hold the act against us. Thank you, Lord. The old story. You want you want justice or you want mercy? <laughs> Mercy right off the bat. The sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Now that comes back to us too. What about the, the sins that have been committed against us? And we forgive. Hopefully we forgive. I had a point here I wanted to make. God does not need to forget what I have done as much as I need to face what I have done. Hopefully, this will prevent me from committing the sin again. Think about that. It's good that we do remember some of our failings, not to dwell on it and say, oh, woe is me, I'm such a rotten person, but to remember what we've done, the consequences of that action, and think, okay, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to say those words again. I'm not going to curse again. Well, I still do, but I'm working on it. I'm really working on it. But the sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. The good news is it's not held against us. Okay, we there we go. St. Francis Prayer. This is to conclude it, but I actually had something else to say before that. I made this up this morning or when I realized I'm talking about forgiveness and I never said anything about, well, how do we forgive? So, this is off the top of my head. I thought, I'm sure you folks would have others, but how do we forgive? Well, first off, you forgive in private. You don't want to be a, uh, someone who wants to make a big show of how, how magnanimous you are in forgiving someone. You do it in private. You do it humbly, not arrogantly. I've had issues where people were talking to me and they did it in such a pompous way. I didn't care whether they forgot, forgave me or not. They're going to be that way. They're as bad as I am. Well, almost as bad as I am. The other thing is to forgive restoringly, to restore the relationship, to come back to where you were. Any friendship, every, every family relationship is worth saving. And the last one is to forgive lovingly. And folks, if you forgive with love, you're going to do it in private. You're going to do it humbly. And you're going to do it to restore a relationship. So there. St. Francis Prayer. I've, you've all seen this before. I've seen it. And for some reason, this really struck me. I'm not going to tell you where I got it. Yeah, I am. I was looking at Dear Abby a while back, and it was in there. <laughs> and uh, it makes me feel so good when I finish reading her article. Whoa, i got a pretty good life. In any case, it, uh, St. Francis Prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is in pa injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, and to be, and to be loved as to love.
It always comes back to that word, love, doesn't it? And then he sums it up. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in the dying that we are born to eternal life. I think the first time I read that, I thought, I don't like that part. Let's go back to the other part. Forgiving, pardoning, loving, whatever. And the dying, what's that all about? That's the beauty of Christianity. You can't beat it. And in my younger days, I did a lot of looking at other faiths. And I don't care what anybody says, Islam is not a faith of peace. Now, they have some beautiful words in the surahs or the chapters. Um, but that is not a, not a, a faith that... Uh, there's no loving God there. And just a quick minute. Um, looked at Hinduism. Looked at uh, Buddhist. Uh, they both, both of those have very nice... Um, not theories, but inner peace. Very big on inner peace. Can't argue with inner peace. But the idea of a Buddhist having a loving uh, relationship with a god, it's not there. And the Hindus got more gods, gods that you can shake a stick at, and I just don't get that. So in any case, I think that's beautiful, and they we're talking about now that it's all action words. Go back, run quick. Uh, to, con to console, to understand, and to love. Action words. To console, to understand, and to love. Thank you, my friends! Roll Tide! And I, I didn't do that, of course. There's all the uh, Georgia and Auburn fans. Betty White, or Betty uh, Smith, where are you? I thought she was here today. I could have swore I saw her. Been back. Okay. Roll Tide. Come on. Oh, Lord have mercy. They're, they're diehard fans over there, aren't they? In any case, that concludes my remarks. I would like to close with a prayer. And let's do it now. Oh, Lord God, every time we pray or I pray, I just feel uh, my words are so trite. And when, I, when it's compared to what you have provided us with your love, uh, with Jesus, and all your blessings, and we just don't seem to understand how how loving you are. You're a righteous God, but Lord, thank God, you are a love, a loving God. You care for us. You want the best for us, and we just praise you and thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Lord, if any of us here are having um, an issue with forgiveness, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to your love so that we may be able to act in a Christian way toward others and forgive them as you have forgiven us. Thank you again, Lord, for this day and for this class and for the for the uh, Chris's uh, grandson being healed. We just praise you and thank you for all your many blessings. And again, in his holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Ron. He's always fun. And as we go forward, yes, roll tide. But uh, our Bible verse this week was that for Epiphany. And if you were from Louisiana, this would be King Day. It's the official first day of the Mardi Gras season. Mardi Gras is a little short this year. It will end on February 12th, which is Mardi Gras Day, Fat Tuesday. But if you were there, you'd have a cake this morning at this party, and it would be a king cake round with a baby in it. And so whoever 
got the baby in there, piece of cake, then next week they'd have the next party. So we're going to have a party here again next Sunday morning, and you're all invited. But the Bible verse for today is, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Matthew 2, 1. Have a great week.